folks. You are listening to Always Be Watching. This is our regular discussion about, well, it's what we've been watching. But we've got a special podcast this week. Now, usually myself and Chris Yates are in a room together. We go back and forth about what we've been watching and we try to regale each other, surprise each other at times with just interesting TV shows that neither of us, like the other person, hasn't seen. And, you know, we make podcast magic out of that. And I'm sure that nobody listening would disagree with that in the slightest. But this week, Chris Yates couldn't make it into the studio. And without Chris Yates, there actually is no studio. So I went around, I looked at my resources. I said, look, I've got me. I've got a strong desire to talk about the new Apple TV Plus service. And when I want to talk about Apple, there's one guy I talk to. And it's a guy named Eddie Noafe, who's talking to me right now through the magic of several Apple devices. Eddie, how are you doing? I'm very well, thank you. And I, yeah, I have my talking to you through my iPhone 11 that's connected to my Beats headphones. <laughs> and I've got the, um, you know, the Apple TV loaded up in front of me because I think that's what we're talking about tonight. Oh, look, absolutely. So I was mm. desperate to talk about Apple TV+. Plus. So when there's a new streaming service, I get excited about it. But the thing that really threw me with this is that all the critics came back after getting the screeners about four days before the service was yet to launch. And they all came with their reviews, and they were all largely negative. And I'm going to ask you, as an Apple fanboy generally, how did you feel when you suddenly found out that maybe there was a bit of a turkey of a streaming service on your hands? Obviously quite worried, because the reports in the trade, um, the trade newspapers and everything reported that Apple TV had... Sorry, Apple had spent about $6 billion <laughs> yeah. um, you know, getting content, which is... Uh, according to some sources, I think on par with what Netflix is currently spending for their original content. Um, and so, yeah, it was a bit concerning because you had, you know, there were supposed to be these kind of prestige TV level shows and to hear that they weren't funding their mark with critics was concerning. When the initial reports kind of came out, when the initial, um, Particularly from Alan Seppenwall. When I read Seppenwall's review in Rolling Stone, I was like, ooh, this could be, this, is this <laughs> going to be Yahoo TV? You know, and I was like, is this a mistake? Like, have they really botched it? But, yes, it, um, it seemed better thought out to me than Yahoo TV. But even yeah. so, like, I was definitely a little bit concerned at that point. But, sure. and so, like, I sat down and let's talk about the content a fair bit here. So you've watched, yeah. I think, everything on Apple TV+. Plus. I've seen most mm-hmm. of it. Now, when I sat down and watched it, I watched the first episode of The Morning Show, and I kind of liked it a little bit more than I'd expected, because the reviews had prepared me for this not to be a great TV show. But then I watched Mm. the second episode, I'm like, actually, wait, no, this is actually kind of engaging. And then, because there were three episodes available on day one, I started watching episode three, and I'm like, wait, no, this is actually covertly pretty good. And then I sat down and watched For All Mankind, and the first episode, a little bit dull, but then as I realized yep. what the show was doing and actually was able to work out what all the very generic sort of white bread guys from the mid-60s uh, space program kind of looked like, because it's kind of yeah. hard to tell them all apart with their exact same haircuts and facial features. Yeah. Once yeah. you cut through all of that, it's like, wait, no, I kind of see what they're doing with this program and it's a little bit interesting. And then yeah. I hit episode three and I'm like, no, I'm really into this program. And I agree. I tried watching C and I didn't really enjoy that so much, but I'm not a big fan of things a bit like that show Vikings, where it's sort of a fake Shakespearean thing with like manly men with giant beards. That sort of thing doesn't excite me much as a viewer. So I kind of just pushed that one to the side and said, you know what, that's probably not for me and that's totally cool. And then Dickinson, which I knew wasn't really quite for me, but I started watching it and that was super engaging as well. 
And so I started looking at the critics' reviews and I thought, well, maybe it's just the way that the framing took place for the critics rather than the actual mm. shows themselves. Because while there's definitely a bumpy start to all of them, within that yep. first week, like there was a lot of promise being shown from those three episodes. Yeah. Well, three episodes per series. Yeah, no, I have to agree with you. I think um, I'm not exactly sure what it is. I think there's several factors that may have influenced um, the way in which critics approach this. But I think you're right. There wasn't a sense of what Apple TV is. You know, we've talked about this and you've already written about it as well. Um, Today, you talked about how it's like a better network broadcast kind of slate of shows yeah like do you, re- you. do you remember a couple of months ago when there were the rumors coming out that a lot of the show creators were feeling like their work was being neutered to a certain degree because the apple executives mm. were demanding that tv shows look and feel a bit more like broadcast tv and everyone was super concerned about that because broadcast tv hasn't been good now for about 20 25 years and when people heard that they're like oh this kind of sounds like garbage but in watching yep. the shows i kind of understand maybe what was going on which is that they're not necessarily after broadcast TVs that kind of feel like the broadcast shows at the moment. So think about like, you know, um, the various NCIS franchises and the Chicago shows and just a lot of the really popular dramas that are around at the moment, just all those procedurals. I don't think they were after that, but really they were just after something that felt a bit more like a traditional broadcast TV drama, which if you remember through the 90s going into the early 2000s, they've actually got fairly adventurous and had sort of interesting diverse casts. Like I'm thinking about shows like ERs is something that comes to mind quite frequently for me because I really hold that up as like an exemplar as to what broadcast TV can do. And each week on that, they had high stakes drama. They had amazing performances from a lot of their cast. The cast were incredibly diverse. It wasn't just a couple of white actors that you kind of remember from the show, but like most of that show is really focused on people like Eric LaSalle of whom put in his powerhouse performances, uh, Dr. Peter Benton, which when you actually sit down and watch ER, it's like, no, this is the guy that's really leading the show. It's not so much Anthony Edwards, despite what the you know broader publicity around the show would have you believe. And you just got these great actors just putting these sort of great performances week in, week out with scripts that were getting a little bit edgier than you used to find on TV and were really pushing the boundaries to what you could do. If you remember NYPD Blue, uh, when that first started, there was uh, like glimpses of nudity being shown on broadcast TV for the first time. There was interesting sort of gritty storylines taking place. It just kind of felt like broadcast TV had reached this point where it's like, this is the sort of stuff we can actually get away with because viewers now have come on a journey with us and are prepared to get content that's a little bit meatier and a little bit just more textually interesting. And I think that's what they're going for with these Apple shows. It's not that they're after TV that appeals to the, you know, um, just as broad broad a base as possible, but really they do want shows that are distinct and are interesting in a way that can appeal to a broad number of people while still maintaining a very independent, truthful voice with sort of adultish themes. So think about The Morning Show, for example. Uh, episode, I think, three of that show starts dealing with the fact that one of the characters had an abortion at one point. And you wouldn't find that on broadcast TV anymore, but I think you can find that on an Apple TV Plus program. Yeah, I think that's episode, that's episode four. So that's the one that dropped on Friday. Yeah. Um, which was, and um, for the first three episodes, it's really dealing with Mitch Kessler, the character that Steve Carell plays, and the fallout from his um, from him being outed as um, a sexual predator. Um, well, being framed for sexual misconduct on the show and dealing with the fallout of that kind of thing. And um, yes, I agree with you. I think... But that show in itself, the way that it started off is interesting because it started with a, a, a showrunner and it was going to be based on um, 
the book that was written. Uh, Bra- uh, Brian Stolzer. From, Brian Stolzer. Yes. Yeah, about the, the, the morning wars, essentially. So it was, but when... What was the book uh, called? Was it Top too, of the Morning? I think it was, yeah. Yeah, I, I have read the book. It's, it's a good read. Yeah, so the show was going to be, was going to like closely follow that, but then somewhere along the, in the production, when Me Too started coming out, and particularly the Matt Lauer um, Today Show uh, incident, is it called the Today Show? Yeah. Yeah, so the Today Show, and so then that's when they brought on the current showrunner, there's like this tension between the, the creative visions of those two showrunners and like trying to bring that, that kind of chaos together. And <laughs> yeah, But chaos is a new cocaine, so don't, don't forget that. Um, the, the that's me, a line from the, the me show. Too, yeah, yeah. Uh, the Me Too <laughs> stuff in the morning show is really quite interesting in that yeah. if you watch it, it definitely feels like it's tacked onto the first episode. But the actual yes. politics of it is really quite interesting where it's a very... Quite believable. It's believable, but it's kind of a conservative viewpoint as to how this works. Because if you look at the Mitch Kessler storyline, and this does get turned on a point with episode four, so it does sort of shift. But a lot of the conversations at that point is actually saying that, yes, Mitch Kessler did all these things, but was what he did necessarily that bad? And that there was a sense of permission being given by women involved. And it just takes a really unique standpoint with the idea of the Me Too phenomenon where I don't think it necessarily wanted to put him out there as the bad guy. And I don't know if this is the casting of Steve Carell, where they felt that they couldn't necessarily do that to him, but it definitely feels like there's a redemption arc coming for that character. And maybe that's something happens in episode four where that kind of changes. So I don't know what the future holds exactly, but up until that point, the politics of the show are really unexpected. And I don't know if it's for the benefit of the show either. I don't think it is. So I think this is one of the reasons why people have, Critics particularly have savaged the morning show. Yeah. It's called The Morning Wars in Australia. I think it's because it's. I, I can't call it Morning is. Wars. <laughs> Me either. But like the, the, the politics are really unclear up until this point. And if you only had the three episodes, yeah. Um, you really don't get a sense of where it's kind of going with it because there is a cameo in episode three where they're trying to work through, Mitch is trying to work through where he stands on like the continuum of sexual yeah, so conduct versus sexual predators and that kind of thing. So there's a real life thing that's apparently happening at the moment where a lot of people who've, who have been outed as, you know, just terrible people through like the Me Too uh, various campaigns around mm-hmm. the place. A lot of these people are apparently banding together and writing books and creating sort of uh, barely listened to podcasts amongst sort of very certain specific communities and, there's like this banding that's coming together, like a brotherhood yeah. of men who've been, you know, outed from society. Yeah. And I think canceled. that's, yeah, men who've been cancelled. And so this is kind of what's happening in this episode where you've got the yes. Steve Carell, Mitch Kessler character sitting down with a movie director played by Martin Short and yeah. Carell's sitting there and like he's aghast at the attitudes of the Martin Short character because he's not as bad as him. And so therefore it's kind of like putting him on that redemption trail yeah and yeah the politics of it are very weird and so i want to know how much of that um architecture of storyline was in place from the original showrunner yeah. versus what i uh, carry um Ehrlich? is that her name um, I think so, yeah. but anyway the new showrunner that came through and like where that sort of butts against each other like maybe that's all her and maybe that's her viewpoint on the world and maybe it isn't maybe she wants to really shift it up because episode four does change things yeah. but yeah the politics weird uh- I I think, and then I think that's why why critics are kind of it, it's not it's very 
it doesn't seem to be taking a position. With it, it seems to be like with well, as you said with Mitch, the Mitch Kessler character, it's it's confusing. What is it trying to say? Is it trying to set up redemption arc, or is it on the side of this is wrong? You know, and then jam packed into all of that kind of storytelling is. <laughs> you know, Aniston's character who's trying to save her career and she's bought on this ingenue and there's parallels to the stuff that's going on with Mitch because there's like this power imbalance between her character and Reese Witherspoon's character who's been sort of thrust into the spotlight. And so there's, I think there's just a lot of ideas kind of going on in the show, which I, to me, I find entertaining to watch. Like, I don't think it all, it all works. I think sometimes the stuff with Steve Carell, sometimes it's, I think I think the show is actually better when it doesn't focus on Mitch as much. It just uses the fallout as the kind of um, plot propulsion. Now, episode four, what, I don't think features him at all, does it? No, it doesn't. That's what I and thought, I think yeah. It's, it's, yeah, it's the best episode, I think, so far, <laughs> because he's not in it. And um, so it's interesting, I think, to see how it's all going to play out, because there's only six more episodes, and then we're going to get, we're guaranteed to get a second season. But, I mean, yeah, that side of the that is is kind of confusing. But the performances, I don't know how you feel about the performances, Dan, but I think the performances are kind of uniformly great. Yeah, so getting back to one of my original thoughts, and this is kind of what I pushed out with the article at the Always Be Watching website earlier this morning as we're talking. I was watching the Apple TV content rollout happening, and it just kind of felt like everything I was watching wasn't really necessarily driving with what the critics were saying. And I started really trying to think what it is about the shows that they're constructing and what it is that they're really offering the audience. And as I said, it's kind of like a broadcast sort of a model. But if you think about what a broadcast show was, it wasn't really like a deep sort of literary show like you might find with the Mad Men, where you watch the characters for a number of years and you really get used to a lot of their um, their sort of rich uh, backgrounds and sort of mannerisms are based on things that you might have seen previous seasons. And so it's really about building on characters in a way that an actual literary book does but rather it just kind of felt more like sort of generic television where you see a character and you kind of understand what a character is about but that can sort of shift from one season to the next but that's not really that important within the show as long as it feels authentic to what that character is about you can kind of go with the ride and you're really watching things on like an episode by episode basis and you're just kind of there for just the sheer pleasure of just watching some fun tv and that kind of feels like they're doing with the morning show so even though there's these interesting themes within the program I kind of feel like that actually takes a back step to just the pleasure of watching what Reese Witherspoon as the amazingly named Bradley Jackson is. Like, just what she's up to. Like, this week we saw she was struggling with waking up at 3.30 every morning to come and do this breakfast TV program. And the toll that that was taking on her ability to even think and see what's going on in this exciting new job that's surrounding her. And it sort of leads up to the point where she's been chasing the program for the entire week as she's trying to adjust her life to be able to keep up with this program and how she flips the tails on the show itself by exercising a certain amount of power to say that, wait, no, I actually have some fairly important agency within this organization. I'm going to actually prove what it is that my worth is here and pretty much to the detriment of everyone around her. But it was kind of fun. Like I was there for that hour. And if next week they don't really pursue that as heavily and have, like, a different uh, idea they really want to interrogate, I'm there for that as well. It just feels like traditional TV where it's a weekly drop, and you're not necessarily meant to be binging them week after, like, episode after episode in, like, you know, a couple of days' time. Really, it's just there to be savoured for the hour that you're watching every week. 
there's one scene in the fourth episode where you've got the executives all sitting around talking about how amazing the ratings have been for the morning show. And one of the yeah. rating, one of the executives says something along the lines of, you know, we've never seen ratings this high in the show's history. And I looked at that and then I looked at the show that they're broadcasting and it could not feel like a more generic morning TV yes. show. And I'm like, what is the audience of this program? Because like, who's so excited by it that people are tuning in in droves? It just seemed crazy to yeah. me. I'd hate to see the yeah. shows on opposing networks because, you know, what they're actually broadcasting, not that exciting. And yeah, Corey Ellison, I think, is one of the best characters on the show. He's just, he's like this complete maverick. You have no idea. He's obviously trying to just kind of blow up upper management with like this move with Bradley Jackson and everything. It's just, it's, it's fun to watch. Like it's not... It's definitely not of the quality of something, say, that uh, that Russell Crowe TV show that was on oh, Showtime. Oh, the loudest like, voice in the room. Yeah. Like, I don't think it's... You know, it's definitely not trying to be that. It's not trying to be, like, that kind of prestige TV. It's just trying no. to be entertaining. It's blatantly entertaining. It's low-key good. And this, yeah. is, this is the thing. So, like, because I actually got a bit of a kick out of it, and then when I'm looking at my Twitter feed and I see people discussing these programs... I'm just seeing, like, increasingly every couple of days, more and more people seem to be glomming onto them, and everyone's talking yeah. about how much they're enjoying the programs. And so I'm mm-hmm. starting to feel, like, evangelical about the Apple TV Plus service. And <laughs> I just want to get the word out there saying, no, guys, it's actually kind of entertaining TV, because yeah. people are enjoying it, and it's just got this negative sheen on it from that just yeah. terrible sort of pre-launch um, buzz around it. But the yeah. questions I want to throw to you, just because, you know, we've been talking and sort of yammering, really. Um, they do have a lot of other content. And so just very quickly, I just wanted to run through the other launch titles. So we've okay. talked a little bit about For All Mankind, which is yeah. a alternate history version of the space race in the US. So you think about the space race and you think about man landing on the moon and it was the US astronauts that did it. What this show supposes is the idea that what if the Americans were beaten to landing on the moon by the Russians by just a matter of a couple of weeks? And how does that change the Cold War and the way that the U.S. space race, which is based very much on the U.S. military, how does that sort of get um, brought into the Vietnam conflict? How does this get brought into the broader sort of cultural tapestry of the U.S. moving forward? And what happens when the Russians keep on beating them to various uh, landmarks like the first woman on the moon? Like, how does the U.S. keep on responding to this in kind when they really are chasing their tail? And it's a really fascinating drama where I was a little bit iffy on it at first, but once I latched yes. into what they were doing, I'm really smitten for this program. I agree with you. I think this is a slow burn um, TV show. I think people, I would recommend that people watch the first three episodes because that the first two really are just prologue. It just feels like they're really just kind of setting up the pieces, kind of setting the world and kind of world building and setting those expectations and rules in a way that you can, and then then they start start to really subtly change um, and introduce like the the possibilities of this um, setting. And by episode four, I was just I'm all I'm all in on the show because I and I highly recommend people check out this Netflix documentary called Mercury Thirteen, which is about a privately funded. Um, space program to see whether women could be in space and that this plays a huge part in the actual ongoing um arc of the for all mankind because as dan's kind of alluded to the russians put a woman on the on the moon and then nixon decides that this needs to be the nasa's kind of priority and it's quite amusing to see to think of richard nixon and obviously he says you know preferably blonde 
so he's still kind of on brand there. But the mixing of like history and they never show Nixon through an actor. They they always do it through archival footage and tapes. So you hear audio that's recorded over, which I think is an interesting way to to kind of put it into the show and introduce yeah. it. But I agree. So it's just, like just, sort of fake quotes from Nixon, like things that yes. Nixon might have said, but just like a Nixon yeah. impersonator over the top of like Nixon footage. Yeah. And the level of detail in the show is incredible. Did you I notice, think. did you notice, I think it's in the second episode, maybe there's a mm. clip playing in the background of a scene. Like they kind of um, play a smidgen of the scene before they sort of pull out. And then you see the scene taking place around it, but it's an episode mm. of I Dream of Genie. And the episode yes. of I Dream of Genie has Genie talking about men and women involved in space missions together. Because, of course, yeah. I Dream of Genie had very heavy roots with its plots in yeah. the US space program. So it's kind of interesting the way that they actually appropriated a clip from I Dream of Genie and, you know, did something with the voices to make it seem like they were talking about, you know, current sort of gender politics with the space missions. So this is my biggest issue with Apple TV Plus at the moment. It's the production, the level of production on these shows is incredible it blows my mind that they don't have like making ofs they don't have like a lot of featurettes they don't have like podcasts even or like a after the show kind of thing like game of thrones because there is so much stuff in the building of these shows that i just want to know about particularly with for all mankind like i think i would appreciate it someone who doesn't know a lot about um the history of the space race what was going on then i think it's this opportunity to have this additional content that's kind of connected to the shows and we're seeing this with hbo max like they're talking about having podcasts and all this additional content to obviously keep you um engaged with their content that um apple tv sort of doesn't have at the moment and they're slowly kind of building things out like i've noticed that they've bought they've they've um they've uh, released a feature on c but um this is like Stuff like that, I want to know more about, and it just—it's just kind of missing at the moment from the service. Which um, I'm actually kind of glad it isn't there. Mm, okay, I enjoy the mystery of it. Yeah, so you just sort of appreciate that. That's cool how they—they. I know it's just I was like, I wanted to know: did that episode actually exist? Where she, but that was a storyline, or did they like dub it over? Like, how did they do that? Yeah, see, I have no idea. I can't imagine it's actually an episode of the show. Maybe it was. Yeah. Like, I haven't seen every episode of I Dream of Genie, and certainly uh-huh. I haven't watched the show much for, like, you know, 20-odd years. Yeah. But, um, yeah, it's a great... It's really great. So, um, And by the, the fourth episode, I was sort of, like, really... Uh, I was, like, emotionally bought into the show, and I think part of the reason why it's so successful is by about episode three, they really just... The plot just kind of starts moving. Like, it just... The first two episodes feel really slow in terms of its pacing. And then the pacing just kind of picks up as it builds towards um, Apollo 15, which is the mission that launches at the end of episode 14. Um, and, like, I really want to know what happens next week. Because, <laughs> like, they've, they've launched the first woman, uh, American woman, is, like, you know, heading to the moon. And they're going to land at some point, I imagine. And... It's just, it's got really great um, character actors in there, like Joel Kinnaman. Like Joel um, Kinnaman's in there. Sorry, who was that? Yeah. Chris Bauer, who plays um, the guy that's in charge of the flight, like picking the teams and everything. Because I, I noticed him and I was like, where have I seen him from? And then he's like, and then I looked him up on IMDb and I was like, of course, True Blood. 
Was he also? Yeah. Is it? I'm trying to work out the same actor we're talking about. Uh, like Zabotka from season two of The Wire. I think so. Yeah, and he's also in the. He juice. Was the yeah, he was the one that um, was really tired of getting kind of jerked around by the administration, and he decides to make all of the women that are left astronauts, and then he announces them. Yeah, 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 yeah. So that's the character. I'm talking okay. About. Yeah, no, he's great. Uh, one of the yeah. lead uh, female astronauts is Sonia Walker who people had mm-hmm. known as playing Penny in Lost. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So she's playing Geraldine Cobb, right? That's right. Yeah. Yeah, I loved her. I love, like, just the way that she plays her on the on the show and everything. And if you actually look up historical uh, photos of Geraldine Cobb, like, she doesn't look like that. She's a much more kind of put together, at least in public. She was that kind of uh, stereotypical 50s kind of woman. Um, and she's just taken this completely different thing with it that's so awesome. And just the way that they slowly build out her character and you get to learn more and more about her and, you know, kind of drives her and her insecurities and everything. And it's just, there's also, towards the end as well, they have like a, a tribute to the real Geraldine Cobb who died um, this year. And for me, that just kind of, that's when I saw, I was like, this is, because alternative histories are like a, seem to be in vogue at the moment like Watchmen is an alternative history Mm. and I thought you know like you can see how with this setting you could really do something that's kind of the drama becomes meaningful in a a way like that's that you you couldn't even really think about because um, for her to have sort of passed the medical and everything and then to have these like real social barriers to like her ever becoming an astronaut you know, it's really punctuated by that. But then, you know, like in this fictional world, she gets to achieve that dream, which I think is, for me, I found very moving um, as a watcher of the show. Okay, so a couple of other shows. Let's just buzz through these super quickly. Yep. Um, C, which is Jason Momoa. Everyone's blind. There's a kid that's born who can see stuff. And then, you know, fights happen, I guess. Have mm. you watched much of it? I've watched the first episode. I'm, I'm going to go back. I'm a bit mixed on the show. I think... The, the setting, like having a big fantasy show like this set outside in the wilderness is quite unique feeling. I think the way that it's shot is quite beautiful and interesting. Not quite sold on the actual larger concept and everything, but Momoa particularly is quite a magnetic actor to watch in this particular role. I don't think he's, I don't think he's really doing anything differently. You've seen him do a million times before in other films and stuff like that, but... He's doing it really well, and there's some really interesting stuff with the, the queen that they introduce later in episode one, which is quite an introduction. <laughs> um, so I, I'm going to go back because I think I'm intrigued by the show enough for me to, to check out more of it and give it more of a more time to um, figure it out because I know that there's a time jump between episodes as well. So I'm interested. Something else on the service, you've got Snoopy in Space, which is a series, I think it's about 10 sort of short Snoopy cartoons that are all interconnected and feature Snoopy and the Peanuts gang going to Cape Canaveral and getting involved in the space program. Have you watched much of it? I think it's a delightful show. I've watched um, the first two episodes with my daughter, who's um, um, she's going to be two in December, so she quite enjoyed it. She's a fan of Bluey. So cartoon dogs are, are a win with her. Yeah. I think what's impressive to me, what's impressive to me is that the show is like, it looks like it's traditional 
um, hand-drawn animation, which I think is incredible in this day and age. Like, a, you know, like the that in itself is like a win. And I haven't watched a lot of Peanuts and everything, but all the voices sound like they're on on par with what I remember um, from my childhood. And I think the the mixing of of um, it, it's just it's it's very entertaining. Like, you can't go wrong watching it. And I think Nicole Byer is like the computer at NASA and it's it's kind of working in entertainment and it's like edutainment in a way so i think um snoopy in space is quite good yeah no i'm completely into it uh, like it's actually laugh out loud which i thought was fantastic uh they've got another yeah. kids show on there which is a remake of the canadian show from the early to mid 90s called ghost riser have you seen any of this yeah. i've not i've seen i've seen the um first episode so i think it's your typical it's quite well made. It looks like it's it's definitely pitched at the audience of of like tweens and sort of younger children. So it's um, I think in terms of families, families will kind of get into it. I think um, it wasn't necessarily for me. I remember the old Ghost Rider show and the the premise and setup is very different in this particular one. But um, interestingly, it seems to be. There's a co-production as well with Sesame Street, which is what I noticed in the credits. So, because um, it's set in New York, I believe. So, I think it's it's I think it's another winner in terms of family programming. Yeah. Now, Sesame Workshop uh, have another show in there called Helpers, which is a mm-hmm. sort of Muppet-oriented program for young, like sort of preschoolers. Uh, now, yep. you've got a young daughter. Why is she into this? She she was actually. So I think she liked. There's like a bigger uh, Muppet puppet that is so they're all different sizes and everything and they've all got very they're all got very distinct character archetypes and that kind of thing and she seemed to really like it while we were watching it it's um each episode is actually has two stories within it so it's very typical if you ever watch the Sesame Street thing it's more like the celebrity um, segments of that show where they have someone come and come in they have a problem and then they try to resolve them. And my understanding of this show is it's trying to teach kids who watch it skills to do with coding, which don't seem particularly apparent when you watch the show, but you know, it, it's, it's like problem solving and thinking through how you would um, solve a particular problem and how you would approach and anything. I think it's quite, it's quite good. It's probably not as, it's more focused than Sesame Street. So you might not, um, that might put people off, but I think, the different like Alan Cumming is in episode two, so I mean, does they've got like really good guest stars that kind of come on, and it's quite fun. And I think um, it's again in terms of, and I think this is something that wasn't really discussed with the critics because they were just getting the kind of prestige level shows. Is the family um, kids stuff on the sh- is quite strong, and um, Helpers I think is is another really good one. Yeah, now there's two other programs on this. There's a feature documentary called Elephant Queen. Yeah. Yeah. Now I have to say I wasn't all that into this. Uh, it felt a lot like yeah. the sort of Disney uh, like feature nature docs that you see, where it's very much about creating characters out of all the animals and give them cutesy names and cutesy little storylines. And there's just something that feels so artificial. And like you and I were talking about this this afternoon, which is that yeah. you watch these uh, documentaries, and if they're not addressing things like the oncoming climate catastrophe, it does not feel like it's really authentic or telling a true story. This, there's a sequence right near the beginning where they've got the elephants playing in like a small pond of water. And like, that's really where the idea of, uh, you know, 
sort of issues of drought kind of hit me a little bit more where I was like, well, this show needs to be referencing that to a certain degree, but I appreciate that kind of screws the narrative for what they're trying to do with it. I don't know. I, I wasn't that into it. No, it's strangely silent on climate change and poaching. And I know that the filmmakers, that's a deliberate choice that they've made because they're, yeah. they've, they've said that as much in, in interviews. So it is a strange one. It is gorgeous. I also though. agree with you. Yeah, it's it's incredibly gorgeous. And to, to like look at and, you know, it's all on the level of the, the BBC documentaries that you've seen. I think if you can get past it, somewhere, I was watching it with my wife, so we weren't really, we didn't have really high expectations for it. So about halfway through the, the documentary, I started to get into it and I found that the, you know, the actual thing was kind of moving, but still there was that part of me where I was thinking it seems irresponsible to have a documentary come out, a nature documentary come out in 2019 and not directly address climate change, which is what the whole thing was about. Like that they, they had to literally leave the, the waterhole that they created to, to kind of survive and um, to have that missing from there was um, uh, did it no favours, but it's certainly very watchable. Yeah. Uh, and the final thing is Oprah Winfrey bringing back her book club. And with this, yeah. she's got a sit down interview with Tanahasi Coates. And so it's yeah. like, I, ne- I never watched like the book clubs on the old Oprah show. So I don't really quite know exactly how their form and function worked. But she brings out Tanahosi Coates to talk about his um, new book, which I can't think of the name of off the top of my head. The Water Dancer. So it's the his Water debut Dan- novel. Yeah. Novel, yeah. Um, and yeah, so um, there's that. But then you've also got people of whom have read the book and their short little interstitials with uh, regular viewers and a few celebrity viewers of whom have watched it. So you get like little one-liners from them talking about what their thoughts were of the book. Yeah, and it's it's quite interesting because when you go to the actual apps, you cannot see this show. Like, it's like... Yeah, I really have to go hunting like for Dickinson, it. You have to really look for it. And because the, the real customer pathway is through the Books app. So if you go to the Books app on your phone or anything like that, the Oprah Winfrey Book Club is very prominently seen. The, so the first thing you see, you drop into it. That's where you can purchase the book. It tells you when the next episode of um, Oprah Winfrey's Book Club is going to happen. So I think... Going back to your to a point that you made earlier um, in our conversation, I think this is probably the best example of how Apple is really leveraging its TV show to kind of touch on all of the different services that it offers. So you buy the book, you can read it, and then you can watch the Winfrey Book Club um, episode. Kind of mean, get all that stuff. To me, that's kind of counterintuitive in that, obviously, if you're approaching it from someone of whom is regularly in the book app and uh, downloading the book through it, but surely having the Oprah name attached to it is enough to get your casual viewer to say, oh, look, Apple sell books and to actually yeah. pursue them that way. Like, it just kind of seems a little bit strange to only be selling to the people of whom you've already got on board. Mm. And I, like, I don't know how, how, how well it's working, but I mean, the actual, the actual show itself is really good. Like, it's Oprah Winfrey. She's a pro at what she does. Um, she's very engaging. She's very warm. Um, and, but I think they need to maybe de-emphasize some of the, it feels too product placement-y at the moment because the whole thing is shot in an Apple store. Yeah. And they talk about that a library. Yeah. Yeah. And so for me, that kind of creates a bit of a barrier, but like once you actually get into the interviewing and everything, it's, it's quite engaging, you know, it's, it's quite engaging. So I could see this being a thing for people who, um, cause 
to, to kind of stay on the, the Apple services bandwagon because they're purchasing the book, they're watching the thing, and they're getting involved in the community in that way. So I could see that being... And that's not something that a lot of other services are really offer. Like, that's, that, that is a unique thing that Apple TV Plus kind of offers, and it's not... It's definitely not something that gets talked about um, as much as maybe it should. Yeah. I mean, I just genuinely think that a lot of the programs on this feel unique. Like, they're not doing anything... They're not reinventing the wheel by any means. But they're just no. all things that aren't really being done by the other competing streaming services. Hmm. Um, and then we've got Dickinson. Oh, of course, Dickinson. Which I forgot is probably so. my favourite. Yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> what do you like about this? This is a show that's very much geared towards sort of a uh, teen, sort of young, well, not even young millennial. Uh, it's really sort of Gen um, Z viewers. Yeah, so the, what I like about it is um, they've taken Emily Dickinson, this historical figure, and they've put her in this, dropped her into this very, this TV show that's like, hit, like period accurate and everything, but then introduces all of these anachronisms throughout the show. So Yeah, so it's like sort of a contemporary yeah. mindset with a layer yeah. of bonnets. Yes, and I think it totally works. I think it's the perfect length. It's only 30 minutes. They've got this incredible cast, like Jane Krakowski's in it. You've got Hayley Steinfeld, who she's in it. And these awesome um, supporting cast that that are really really good i think um the showrunner elena smith really understands her character and i think the things that she's doing with it um you know you've talked about sort of getting good tv shows but i think she is doing something a little bit different with with um, dickinson it feels a little bit more um edgier definitely edgier than some of the other tv shows that we've talked about but i think it's um and it I think it's quite a good show and I, I, I really wish that more people were kind of watching it um, because I think they would get like a, a lot out of it. Just how astute it is in terms of its its observations about sort of like our current political situation and everything. And also just, it's incredibly funny. So that's kind of what, I, I really like the show. It's really, and you can watch the entire series. Um, yeah, they dropped all 10 episodes on day one. Yeah. Yeah, watching it, yeah. the one thing that really struck out at me, stuck out at me was that the energy of the program reminded me completely of the WB shows from the late 90s when they started twisting, uh, t- um, like gearing it more towards sort of teen audiences rather than like a weird sort yeah. of uh, family audience, which they'd been doing up until then. And when I sat down and watched mm-hmm. the very first episode of Buffy and just the energy mm-hmm. I felt from that program and the fact it kind of felt like nothing else that was really yeah. on TV right now, but was speaking very specifically to an audience, which was me at the time. Like, it just kind of yeah. felt like I was just really energized by this program. And then watching Dickinson, I just got that same vibe from it. And the vibe, because yeah. the politics on it, it's got a very sort of strong uh, sort of queer storyline, well, queer themes that run through the program. And some of that's really overt, some of it's a little bit more subtle. But I just kind of feel like a younger audience is going to respond to that in droves in a way that I don't see being depicted much on TV generally around the place. Like, Netflix is fairly good with having some, like, really sort of interesting progressive programs and progressively-minded programs, but I don't think any of them are really playing around at the sort of level that I think Dickinson's hitting here. No, I, I have to agree with you, and I think, you know, I think um, the CW is, is still, um, it's really, you know, they're, they're doing things like Archie, and they're, they're, they're really have that kind of, yeah, sorry, Riverdale, sorry, Riverdale, and that, that teen market and everything, like what you were talking about. But I mean, it I kind of feels like the CW is being so heavily co-opted by comic book adaptations that it doesn't really feel like yeah. it's uh, speaking to an audience it's outside of out. that now. Yeah, and I think maybe that that's 
what's going to be the success of Apple TV is like it's going to find its like niche audiences and really serve up content that kind of speaks to them. And I think Dickinson is. It's weird that the niche is basically the mainstream now. <laughs> yeah, but I think yeah, I think I agree with you. It's got this like cracking energy to it. Uh, it's very smart. It's very funny, and it's interesting that um, it was uh, Haley Steinfeld on uh, uh, on Instagram announced that if you were a college student with an Apple Music subscription, you got Apple TV Plus for free. Um, and then also announced. So, like, they're doing all these really interesting things with just the way that they're kind of marketing the show as well. Like, but you know what? You know what they're not doing? So I don't know. Okay, here's the thing. I thought Apple, the smartest thing that they have is that unlike every other streaming service in the world, they've got a physical footprint where in every capital city around the world, you can walk into Apple stores everywhere. And while you're looking around at the new phones, you could see these TV shows being presented to you there. When you're walking past like screens on the wall, you could see Apple TV stuff there. And when you look at the like production values of these shows, like these shows sell themselves just on visuals alone. Like, it makes perfect sense to me that you walk into an Apple store and, like, it's these shows that are selling the devices and vice versa. There is not a single glimpse to be seen of Apple TV products <laughs> anywhere in there. Like, even I walked wow. up to a TV that had an Apple TV connected to it and it was selling Apple yeah. TVs. That was the reason why this display was there. And the TV was turned off. <laughs> and this this awesome. was on the launch day of Apple TV. And I thought, well, you know what? Maybe just like the first week and I've had a bit of a marketing screw up and the stores haven't been given the correct instructions on what to do. So I came back to a store like the Saturday afterwards in Bondi, nothing again. Yep. It's madness. It, this is like the weird. Sydney CBD store and the Bondi store. And I would have thought one of those two stores would be the ones that are sort You'd of so. kitted out, but not a thing. Well, I don't think the launch was very smooth because for <laughs> no, me, it was not. I... It was not smooth at all because I remember it being dropped and everyone was saying Apple TV Plus is live. I went on to try to claim my year um, free service. It was not on the app. I had to call up the support um, the support line. They had no idea. I was on. I was tied up for like forty five minutes trying to work all this stuff out. And it was not until like MacRumors.com like posted this thing that saying that a lot of people were not were experiencing issues with trying to claim the free year. You could go to the website. So who even knew that there was like a, you could access Apple TV plus through a website again. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Not very clearly known. I mean, I did know like, that, but like most people would not. No, exactly. And yeah. so, yeah, I had to, had to log on there. And because I'm part of a family account, which is like my wife is the primary account holder. Um, I had to get her. Yeah, I had to get her to like <laughs> approve it and everything. It was, it is. Look at you under the thumb. Some, I know they have got some serious stuff to work out with, like some of the logistics, some of the UI, and I've just noticed recently that even the way that they were they were um, showing shows in the the Apple TV app on the actual Apple TV. Now, this is another thing. The branding is completely confusing. You've got Apple TV, the product. You've got Apple TV Plus, the service. You've got the Apple TV app yep. that you access it through. Well, it's just called TV. Completely bonkers. <laughs> yeah, it's just called TV. Yeah, just yeah. completely bonkers. Um, and so at, in, at the beginning, like at the very first week, you, if you went to the TV app, you couldn't see the freaking shows because you had to scroll down to then get to the channel 
that would then lead you to the Apple TV, like to where all the shows were. They've since changed that so that it's more prominent. But it just blew my mind that this like trillion dollar company had released this app and this service. And I was just like, what the hell are they doing? I think when I designed the user experience, like the user journey, I think I pretty much was the complete template for it because it worked seamlessly for me. And what I did, because mm-hmm. I don't have, I didn't buy a new phone or anything this year, so I paid for it like a chump. Uh, essentially, yeah. I logged on. To, I've got an Apple TV bit of hardware at home, so I turned that on, went to yeah. the TV app because I knew I'd find my shows there. Um, I saw, I think the morning show was like the sort of main title card that came up. So I went into that. I went in and added it as a show that I want to follow. I forget the actual naming terminology they use on yep. the app. But I did that so that every time there's a new episode, it had come up and it's one of the shows that I want to watch. I did that. And then I went and found like all the other shows and I just added them as, you know, watch next, watch next, watch next. So it's been a really seamless yep. experience for me where every time there's a new episode, they're just there displayed as like the next thing to watch. So I think I'm the yep. perfect customer for them. But at the same time, yep. like I appreciate people come to these things with all sorts of different journeys. And yeah, I, I don't think Apple have really met the challenge. No, I think they've got some ways to go with refining that user experience because it's very obvious. There's a, like, there's a sub-strategy to what Apple is doing as well is the TV app is also trying to sell you content from their competitors because they get a 30% cut on all the movies and the TV shows that they sell. And in Australia, you can only really subscribe like there's a Smithsonian channel, which no one's going to subscribe to. <laughs> no. Made. No but one's it... going to do that. But like potentially the 10 plus. Uh, 10 all access. 10, the channel 10, 10. Yeah. 10 all access. Like potentially people will go, yeah, okay. Well, you know, I'll do that. And then. Yeah, I'd like to watch some Lovebird episodes. <laughs> Twilight Zone. I don't know what even is on the Australian 10 all access, but. That's no, certainly nothing that makes it interesting. Yeah, okay, so Ed, yeah. we, we need to wrap this up. So, okay. um, first of all, Apple TV, I'm, I'm giving you a big thumbs up. I think more people need to be checking this okay. out because there's legitimately good stuff happening there. Yeah, at yeah. least with these launch shows, like, you know, the next couple of shows may not be any good. But at the moment, things are seeming promising. I'm interested in what's coming next. I think Truth Be Told, which has um, Octavia Spencer and, and is it Jesse Pinkman? No, that's his character that he played. Yeah, uh, you're talking about Aaron Paul. Aaron Paul, sorry. He, you know, truth be told, that that looks interesting. That drops in December. They've got um, two movies on the horizon that look kind of interesting, Hala and The Banker. And then there's a new one that's coming at the end of this month called Servant, which is like, for me, that's an interesting um, genre choice for them because it's, it's ostensibly like horror. Um, whereas all of the launch shows have been, they seem to have been like science fiction, science fiction, drama, and, um, you know, a comedy. Yeah. So to see them launch a horror show, I, I, I agree with you. I think it's it's worth checking out. It's not as bad as what you've heard. <laughs> but even the phrase not as um, bad, like I think these shows are legitimately like that good. They are good. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, that's our they're critical consensus. They're good. Yeah. No. And no, yeah. they're not great shows, but they're very watchable, and I'd miss them if they if they just went on my TV. Yeah. 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 I think people should check it out. Uh, yeah. Okay. Now, other I things... think the other thing that you can do yeah. with the Apple TV series is you can, if you go on there for free, you can actually watch the first episode of each. You can watch show the first two free. episodes. Oh, there you go. Yeah. Without even needing to sign up. That's right. And the thing is that the first two episodes of both shows, I don't think are putting their best foot forward, which is the irony of it all. Definitely not. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, it is what it is. Definitely not. But anyway, Ed, mm-hmm. we probably need to wrap this up. 
Uh, okay. People may not know you, but if they want to track you down, like you're on Twitter. Uh, yes, I am. Yeah. Uh, at Ed Nolafair. And that's? I, at E-D-N-G-A-L-U-A-F-E. Fantastic. I just mostly retweet stuff, so I don't really think it's worth following me. No, nah, I say ahead. follow. Uh, you don't have a SoundCloud. No, I don't. <laughs> I've got no mixtapes coming out. Ah, disappointing. Uh, people can check out me on the Twitters and other socials at the Dan Barrett. Uh, also, if you're on the web and you want to subscribe to a, I'd say, fairly decent newsletter each morning, sign up at alwaysbewatching.com and you'll get a list of the up to 10 most interesting screen stories each and every day. Tomorrow morning, if you subscribe, and when you read, hear this, it'll be after tomorrow morning, so I don't know why I phrased it that way, but you'll hear my thoughts on the new Mandalorian TV show, which just dropped a couple of hours ago as we talk in the US. And once I finish this conversation, as we finish this up quite late at night for me, you're an hour behind me with a time difference. Um, I'm, yeah, I'm still going to try to watch The Mandalorian tonight before I hit bed. That's how dedicated you are to the always be watching community, Dan. As yeah. you I mean, sure. I also just want to watch some Star Wars. Yeah. How excited are you about this? I'm pretty excited. Okay, good. Yeah. Anyway, I'm going to go and do that. But folks, this has been Always Be Watching. Huge thanks to Ed for stopping in to, you know, talk some Apple TV with me. I think we're going to have Chris back next week. But I want to maybe follow up with you in a few weeks' time, Ed, and find out what you think of the way the first seasons of both these shows have wound out. And also what you have thought about the couple of new shows that are launching. So I don't know how it works out time-wise, but we'll definitely have seen Surfing by the time Morning Show and um, For All Mankind wrap up. Yeah, sounds good. I'm, I'm looking forward to that job. Excellent. We'll figure out how to do this and maybe try to get Chris into it as well. But anyway, folks, this has been Always Be Watching. Thank you very much for listening. It's been a different episode than we usually drop, but I think it's been a rewarding journey through the, it's actually pretty good, uh, nature of Apple TV+. Plus. This episode hasn't been great, but it's good and it's entertaining, just like Apple TV. Yeah. <laughs> it really has captured the spirit of Apple TV Plus as a whole, hasn't it? <laughs> Not that bad. Exactly. Anyway, thank you very much for listening. We'll catch you next week.